What'd you guys think, huh? Give these guys another round of a hand. I have to get my speaker paraphernalia. You guys got your Bibles? Guess where we're going? Jonah. Go ahead and turn. So I left you guys hanging on a couple things I realized yesterday. I need to, clar- I need to clarify, shore up. One of them is a picture. Anna, if you got that for me. Let's see. Coming soon to a theater near you. Or give me a thumbs down. If it's a no-go, we'll move on. One second. There you go. That's uh, that's my my daughter's ferret. His name is Winter, and he's he's really cute, but he smells a little bit. Uh, they have they're like skunks, kind of. They're in this like skunky family, so they have this musk. They don't they don't stink. They just smell. It's kind of like junior hires. Um, you guys are high schoolers. I'm not offending anyone. So you were, you know it's true. You've been one. Um, and then the other thing I realized is uh, I didn't, fi- didn't kind of close the bookends on the whole thing with my dad. He's okay. Um, he is uh, in Oregon checking in with the doctors. I'm excited about what might happen. We're still in this kind of like catching up phase. Um, and if things go well, uh, right now it looks like we might have an opportunity for him and his wife, me and my wife, and our kids to go to the San Diego Zoo together, which would be like a huge thing, obviously. So, um, But even more importantly still than the San Diego Zoo, in my heart, is that he comes to know Jesus. Um, and so I uh, just wanted to close that up on you guys and make sure I didn't leave you guys hanging on that. So uh, I showed you another picture uh, last night on my wife. Um, she's a huge part of my life, obviously, um, being the mother of my children, the one who keeps me sane. Uh, but one of the things that's unique about my wife, and you'll notice right off the bat when you meet her or interact with her, is that she is an artist, true form of the word artist. Uh, she finds beauty in everything, and that's what I love about her. She's uh, been so good in my life, uh, helping me shape the way I think and act and move and breathe. Um, and, and in her life, what you'll notice is through everything that she does, I've almost kind of like figure her out now, Uh, not completely, because it never happens. She's a woman, and I have no idea what she's thinking. Um, But everything I see about her, I go, I got it. I figured it out. It's beauty. I always thought it was art, but it's not. It's beauty. And the word we use is art, because that's what everyone calls it. Uh, But for her, she has an eye for beauty. She looks for beauty everywhere, and then she makes beauty everywhere. And so she has this Instagram page. You can check it out if you want. It's called Berkshire Mushroom. And she hunted mushrooms when we lived here, and she would take photos of them and categorize them. And she like she could spot a mushroom. She would be like, "That's a mushroom or whatever." And she'd be like, "That's not a real mushroom at all." Um, and then she she would just walk around. She would know these. But then even in her Instagram, if you scroll through it, her Instagram feed is is beautiful. The colors of the mushrooms. She'll have like purple mushrooms, which will fade into red mushrooms, which will fade into orange mushrooms. And it's like this rainbow of mushrooms. So write that down if you want. You can check it out later. It's Berkshire Mushroom on Instagram. That's her like mushroom page that she, I was like, you're creating art. And she's like, yeah. 
And I was like, she just captures beauty everywhere, even in fungi. Like, that's the way she is. She turns literally rotten decay into beauty. Um, and so that's kind of my wife. And one of the things that she also does, she writes songs. She has a, a, a knack for words and the English language. She studied Shakespearean literature. And she loves to take words. That's why I say things like paraphernalia and stuff. Uh, is because she takes words, and she always, sometimes she'll speak in Old English, which is really weird. Um, but uh, she takes words and just crafts them into ideas and concepts and beauty to capture. And I think this is what, this is what I wrote down about her uh, because this is like a truth I've discovered in life as a result of spending time with my wife is this, is art is a grasp at an attempt to mirror, define, or portray the divinity, the majesty, and the beauty that God created. That's what my wife does. That's what art is, and that's what I've realized. I'll say that again. It's, it's, an, it's a grasp at an attempt to mirror, define, or portray the divinity, the majesty, and the beauty that God has created. That's what my wife does. I'll give you an example. This is something my wife wrote one time. I'll share it with you. Remember our timeline last night? What did it start with? Not creation. God. In the beginning, God. All-powerful, creative creator, immutable, infinite, God. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, the thunder that comes from his lips. He said, light be and light was. Shining, glowing, heating, showing, luminous, brilliant, ablaze. Then with the word of his mouth, he spoke the cosmos in place. He made more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on earth. And he put more atoms in each grain of sand than there are stars in the universe. He formed the earth's crust. He made man out of dust. He did it all and said it was good. So incline your mind to the intelligent design of the one most divine. And fall supine because our status to God is helpless decline. Listen. Listen to the roar of his voice, the thunder that comes from his lips. His status is unfailing, prevailing, sustaining, ever reigning God. While we were delighting, God was. While we are crying, God is. And when we decide to try and fight and strive and die to self, to arise and shine, God will be, always be, always be. My vernacular is not spectacular enough to describe God's status. No apparatus in our mind strata can comprehend the data of how deep, how wide, how strong, how bright is God. Before time and space, God. Before the human race, God. Before the disgrace of this lowly place, God, God, God. His status is one in three, Holy Trinity, God. I saw the Lord upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the room, no corner left untouched. The room represents not a structure, but a construct with instruction. His glory fills the earth, respond. I said his glory fills the earth, Respond. The surround, then surrounding the Almighty exalted one flew a holy seraphim. With two wings they hovered and with four wings they covered. And with their voices they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. His nature is beauty, holy and wise, worthy of praise and wholehearted cries. He knows your name. He calls you his own. He beckons you to follow him. 
So cover your eyes and bend your knee and enter his presence, humble and meek, and listen. Listen to the roar of his voice, the thunder that comes from his lips. She has a way of just putting words where you go, dang, girl. And I love her for it because she shows me truths that I haven't found in this book simply because she digs deeper sometimes than I do. And I spend time studying this word and I spend time teaching this word and she simply gets it because she looks for beauty and she finds it when she looks at it because when she looks for beauty, she finds God and she finds him everywhere. And I love that about her. And that's what I want to try to bring to you guys today is to help you grasp at the beauty that is God, his divinity, his majesty, his beauty. And the divinity, the majesty, and the beauty of all that he's created. And we've got to go into our timeline a little bit again. So can I have my poles up again here? Um, I took this, I took this, uh, I say home. I didn't go home last night. I went to my room last night. Uh, and I kind of finished it out a little bit. There's some more to add to it, so we'll get to that in a minute. But um, this one thing that happened one time was my son. So you see my three boys, or my three kids, my two boys there. Uh, Kale, my oldest son... Um, before our youngest was born, we were at the house one day, and he comes up. He's like, Dad, let's go play. And I look outside, and it's raining. And I go, we can't, we can't go outside, buddy. Why not? Well, because it's raining. And that, I thought that was enough. And he goes, why? And I was like, what do you mean, why? Why is it raining? So being the smart aleck that I am sometimes, I was like, well, because there's water falling from the sky. <laughs> I think he was like six or seven at this time. And uh, so his mind, still small, but uh, so he goes, why? And I was like, we need wise water falling from the sky. So smart aleck, me. I said, well, you see the water vapor in the atmosphere, it condenses and the water droplets, they form clouds. And when the sun, when the rain gets too heavy, you know, gravity overcomes it and it falls to the earth. <laughs> and I was being smart. My wife looks over at me and starts shaking her head at me like, you knucklehead. And he looks at me kind of funny, turns his head, so he goes, why? And I was like, all right, all right. So I look at my wife, and I smile, and she just looks like, don't do it. And I go, smart like me. I said, well, you see, what happens is the sun is a mass of incandescent gas. It's like a gigantic nuclear furnace. It's made of hydrogen and helium. It burns millions of degrees, and all that heat comes to Earth and heats up the water on the planet. And so it turns into water vapor and goes up into the atmosphere. <laughs> and he looks at me kind of funny for a second, like, what? And goes, why? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's on. And I said, well, you see, uh, the, the water vapor, it goes up into the atmosphere, and it's like this water cycle where the, the sun heats the water, it goes up, it condenses, and it falls. You know, it lands in the mountains, which flows down to the rivers, into the ocean, and the cycle just goes on and on and on. Why? I was like, God dang it. Well, you see, water's made up of, uh, you know, uh, hydrogen and oxygen and the heat, you know, it breaks up the molecules and all, and it, <laughs> I just go on and on. And then he looks at me and goes, why? And I'm like, what do you mean, Why? So what I realized quickly, I was like, he has more questions than I have answers. And I was like, dang it, he's going to win this game. And so I look at him, and I, I, I exhaust my knowledge, right? I go as far as I can with all the science that I could throw at him, all the physics I could give him. And every time, he just goes, why? 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 And eventually, I go, well, because. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's all. he brought me down to my knees now, right? He, I go, because. And he goes, Why? 
And I guess because the way God made it. And he goes, why? I'm like, now he's questioning the mind of God with one question. And I go, I don't know why. And I was like, shoot, I just said I don't know. Diggity wins, you know. And I said, I don't know. It's just because he's God. And he goes, why? And I was like, now he's asking the essence of God. And I'm like, well, because he's just God. And he goes, why? And I'm like, I don't know, but I just know he's God. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, that's it? No more whys? Like, he was good with that. But what I realized in that moment was, is like all of our questioning and all of our knowledge ends at God. Because he created it all. We can ask as many questions as we want. We can dig as deep as we want into our own knowledge. We can exhaust all the encyclopedias. We can exhaust all of our, our human attempts at understanding this crazy, crazy world of ours. And at the end of the day, the only answer that's left is God. And my seven-year-old son taught me that. Isn't that crazy? And my son reminds me constantly of God because of the way he acts and the way he thinks and the things that he does and because of how much I think and love that kid. Um, so I, like I said, I took this home, if you will, and finished it up a little bit last night. But we got to add some more to it today. So <clears throat> so we got to add a little more to it because we're not done yet. We're not done yet. There's more to this story, FYI. <laughs> so let me throw another layer to this thing because it gets deeper, by the way. Oh, this tape is hideous, but it works. So there we go. Anna's really mad at me because I'm using her tape right now. Probably not. She probably doesn't care. Oh, shoot. I got to lower it. I ran out of room. There we go. Oh, I'm going to leave my tape over here. Oh, no! Oh, guys, pray for me. You saw it coming. You saw it coming, didn't you? Daggamn it. That's okay. We got tape. We'll figure this out. Give me just a second. Now, if we had a giant whiteboard or something, this would have been easier. But we don't. So we're okay. Here we go. Watch this. We'll fix this. Tape it together. We got tape. We can make this work. I wouldn't spend this time if it wasn't that important, but it is, so I will. Uh-oh, uh-oh, here we go. Is that good enough? Oh, no, don't do it. The tape is heavy. That's okay. It'll work. We'll make it work. It has to work. This is like a skit. Oh my gosh, this tape, I hate it already. Oh well, there we go. It's good, it's good, it works. So, and I have my Sharpie. So we'll get back to this. So, um, the other thing that I, that I wanted to talk about my son, I've always had these prayers as we're teaching our kids these prayers. 
we teach them around the table, right? You sit down and you eat and you're like, you, you model for them what it's like to pray and give thanks and all this. And you start with these childlike prayers, right? Because you're teaching a child, you start small, you build on it. And we had this one little prayer, super simple. You probably heard it. It's one you hear all the time. Like, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we are fed. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Amen. Right? Super simple prayer. And I was thinking about that prayer and just the simplicity of it. But then I was thinking about it and going, but it's actually not that simple. It's actually pretty profound. Because the very beginning of it says, God is great. God is good. And if you look at just that, God is great. God is good. There is most of the character of God is in just that simple phrase. God is great and God is good. For him to be both of those at the same time is what, when I really stop to think about it, is what blows my mind. Because if you think about most things that we know in humanity, especially humans, that are great, they're not also good. And things that are good not, aren't always great. But God is great and God is good. So that's what I want to dig into today a little bit. This idea of how great God is. And when I think of great, I think of how big God is. So I want to try to expand our minds, right? You ready to expand your mind a little bit with me? So if you look at the creation, so God created everything. Sun, moon, stars, universe, all of this. Set it in motion. It all works perfectly, flawlessly. Uh, it's been, uh, there's been an example given that says, if you were to create a machine and put a button or a dial for every thing that is tuned in our universe, the weight of molecules, the elemental scale, the, the specific gravity, the, the measurement of gravity, all of the things in the universe, if you were to create a button, a dial, a slider, a fader, a, a, a knob for all of it, you'd have this big machine with thousands of knobs on it, and every one of them will be perfectly set to, to match what our universe and what science has uncovered. When we go, well, this is what gravity is. So we get a gravity knob, we slap it on there, and we turn it to 98.6 meters per square, per second squared. And that's gravity. And then we go, and this is oxygen molecules will be this big, and nitrogen molecules will be this big, and the atomic mass of things will be this big, and electrons and neutrons, and all of the world, everything that we know in science, you put a knob for it, you have this machine that was fine-tuned. And if you bumped that machine and changed one knob on it, even a fraction, off of what it was, the whole world would rip itself in half. The whole universe would fall apart. That's how fine-tuned it all is. And yet it's also vast. And it's tiny, tiny components that then all added up together, just the bigness and the vastness. And we, if you don't stop and think about it, you'll take it for granted. But one thing, just to kind of expand our mind on this, is this. If you were to take the distance from here to the sun which takes light eight minutes just to travel, right? So think about that, the speed of how fast light travels. You can turn on a light switch, there's light. The fastest, the, the, uh, despite how fast light travels, it still takes it eight minutes to get from the sun to our earth. If you took that distance and shrunk it down to one inch, and this was earth and this was sun, the distance that it takes light to travel eight minutes at the speed of light, the next closest star would be four and a half miles away. The next closest star. One more star. And when you look out, how many stars do you see? None of them are closer than four and a half miles if our distance to our star was only an inch. That's the next one. And when you look up at the sky at night, especially up here, where there's no light pollution, there's millions 
billions of stars out there. So think about that for a second. And you're only seeing half the sky. There's a whole other half on the other side of the earth, just in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> it goes on forever. That's how great God is. God is great, and yet God is good. That God who goes, I'm going to put a sun right here, and I'm going to put the next one four and a half miles away. And it says he holds all that in the palm of his hand. And he's like, sun, star, four and a half miles, and then all of it. And he holds it all together, makes it all work. And that God created us uniquely and specifically and called us good in the garden before sin and all of that twisted and perverted it and broke it the way he designed it. Sin came in through a choice, but God loved us enough to give us that choice. I told you guys we were going to talk about choice this week. Let me dig into this a little bit more. As we look at Scripture, we see several words that describe God. Most of them are begin with the word omni, which means all. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. That means God is everywhere, all at the same time. He knows everything about anything that there is to know because he created it all. And he is all-powerful. He had the power to create it all and then sustain it all. And he could end it all anytime he wanted. That's the God that we're talking about. Omnipresent, omnipowerful, omniscient. It's a big word for all-knowing. That's the God that we're talking about. This is the God that we jump into Jonah with. As Jonah today comes to his senses, in a sense, um, after realizing he can't run away from the God who made the ocean in a boat, by the way. So here we are in Jonah chapter 1. We ended in verse 10. We're now back to verse 11. We saw today the gnome version of this same story. And it says this in verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. <laughs> I love this story. And it, will be, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So when's the last time you're like, it's me. Just chuck me in the ocean. Everything will be fine. That's what Jonah says. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They're like, we're not going to kill you. Like, that's your, that's your solution to this problem is we just off you and then we're all okay? We can't live with that. They're not okay with that. They said, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So when they tried to row back to land, the ocean got worse. God was like, uh-uh. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going back to land, not with that guy in the boat. So here's what he says. He says, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they, looked, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So Jonah, even in his disobedience, converted a bunch of piratey sailors on the ocean to follow Jesus, to give their life to the Lord because he was being disobedient. And we see this in scripture all the time. What you intended for evil, the Lord took and made good. 
So Jonah's disobedience turned into these sailors' repentance and following the Lord. Then it says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God. He would have saved himself a lot of trouble. It says this, this is Jonah's prayer now. All of chapter 2 is just a prayer from Jonah inside a fish. So when you see Jojo in the trash can, being like, God, I'm sorry. Like, this is Jonah inside a whale. So imagine Jonah. He's not, like, sitting there, like, thinking on a bench. Like, he's inside a fish, stomach, and then he says this. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> guys, do you guys see how crazy this is? This guy tries to run from God. He almost gets these other guys killed. They don't want to kill him, so they end up chucking him overboard. A fish then comes and swallows him, and while he's in the fish, he's then like, okay, God, I give up. You're right. I'm wrong. I will do what you want. Thank you for saving my life. The whole first part of that is like he's getting tossed in the waves. Seaweed wraps around him. He starts sinking down into the ocean like, this is it. It's over. I should have just gone to Nineveh. And then God's like, fish swallows him up and he's like and then you rescued me in the belly of this fish thank you so much he's praising God inside the belly of a fish guys in a fish I don't even like eating fish more or less being in fish and he's praising God in this he almost lost his life and then after he repents God goes hey fish go puke him up and then a fish goes up could you imagine being there I think God maybe had to find a deserted like beach somewhere because if you're just like going for a walk on the beach, because I know most of you guys, you love long walks on the beach, right? Some guy's walking on the beach and this fish just comes up and is like, and this guy like pops out, you know, lands on the ground and you're like, what? And then the fish is like, do-do-do-do-do on its way. I don't think anyone was there for that. If I were God, I'm not, but I don't think I'd, I'd make sure it was an empty beach. That would be too much for anyone to handle. But Jonah gets puked up on this beach, and there he is. And God's in control of all of this, the God of the sea, the God who spared the lives of these sailors and got Jonah, or Jonah's attention, shook him up and was like, dude, come on. I said go, I said, go here, and you went there. I'm not going to let you. I have a plan that's bigger than you. It's bigger than your desires. And Jonah tried to play God. He tried to say, well, I don't like those people. I want them to die. And if the only way they're going to be saved is if I go tell them to repent of their sin, then I'm not going to do it because I want them dead. And God goes, you're not God. I am. I don't want them dead. And I need you to go tell them that they need to repent of their sin. They're horrible, wicked people. 
and we see the love and the mercy and the grace that this God of the universe has, the God who could just be like, you know what, I'm done with you guys. Flick, and Nineveh would be gone. But he goes, no, I'm going to send one of my guys to go tell them, hey, you need to change what you're doing. You need to repent, turn from evil ways, and come back. And Jonah goes, no, I don't like God's plan. I like my plan better. I think inside the fish he changed his mind. But um, So here's what we got. We've got God. So let's, let's figure this out. So as you look at the Bible, we have God the Father. I'll try to make this as big as I can. God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. And if you connect the dots, you have a triangle. Because we have this God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we look at Scripture, we understand who God is. We call this Trinity. You'll never find that word in the Bible. It's the word we use because tri means three, unity means together, three in one, Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see three persons talked about in Scripture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God. They're separate, but they're all still God. You don't understand it? I don't understand it. The Bible says you won't understand it, but that's the way that it is, whether you like it or not. So this is God the Father, eternal. So he's been there forever. The Son, been there forever. The Holy Spirit, been there forever. All three, eternal past. Before he spoke all of this into creation, there was God. We see in John, the Son was there with the Father since the beginning of time, since the beginning of creation. When God said, let us make man in our image, he was talking about the Trinity. And we see God the Father all the way through in heaven. God never comes down to earth, into our lives as the Father. God the Son, however, we see there's some times, we'll, we won't get into that right now, it's too theologically deep. We'll come back to that later. But then we see Jesus, the Son, comes and enters our humanity right here. The split between the Old and the New Testament is the arrival of Jesus into our world. God the Father, the God who created everything, the God who holds it all together, the God who put our Son where it is and the next star where it is and all the other stars in the universe and all the things that he created and then on our world comes down into that tiny little ball and adds trees and plants and separates the waters and the, and the land and then puts animals and birds and fishes and then people. And he creates it all and says it's good and it's perfect. And then he takes a break. All of that power in God then comes in the form of a man. And in the Old Testament, we have these times. They're all pointing to this time where someone will come to solve this problem. Even in the garden right here, God says, he, there will be someone, your seed Eve, someone from your seed, meaning a human, born of humankind, will one day from Eve crush this garden snake. Will, he says, he will strike your heel, you will crush his head. He'll, he'll attack you, but you'll destroy him. And that's from all the way in Genesis. He goes, he's going to come one day and there will be a Messiah, the word we use, a Christ. The word Christ and Messiah basically mean the same thing. Jesus' name isn't Christ. Christ is this his description. I'm Kip the Father. He's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one who was promised to come. Um, then he does. And so we have this star in Bethlehem. 
and we sing Oh Holy Night and all these other songs. And in this tiny little manger, we have this little baby with the wise men and the sheep and all the good stuff, right? Um, that we celebrate at Christmas. We give gifts to each other because we see Jesus as the gift, because the wise men brought him gifts, and we go, yes, he's a gift. The Bible talks about him as a gift, and we see this over and over again. This is what God did. God became man because of this sin. He showed us all throughout history that he is in charge. He loves us. He has a plan for us. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of mercy, a God of grace. All of these things, and he goes, well, my ultimate plan is to actually come into the earth, to put myself into the story that I, that I created to redeem the whole thing and bring it back to me. That was his plan. So we have Jesus here on earth, and he spends about 30 years on the earth, and we don't have a lot of that. There's like a story when he's 12 and then some other stuff, but then when he's 30 years old, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and you hear the voice of God, this is my beloved son in whom I love and I am well pleased. I don't know if it was like that, but I am at, that's my version of when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And it says, and the, whole, and the spirit of God descended at him on like a dove. And a voice says, this is my beloved son. And we have God the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and Jesus Christ himself standing there. And we have the Trinity in the Bible right there. So when I say the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is where we see him in Scripture. It doesn't say the Trinity, the three gods in one. It doesn't say that, but as we read Scripture and we see stories like John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, we hear the Father speak, the Spirit descend, and Christ himself there in human form, born of a virgin, miraculously through the power of God. He began as a miracle to come and be one of us. It's not easy being one of us. And he knows that because he became one of us. This is what God did because he loves us so much. And he gave us a choice and we blew it. And he goes, but that's not it. It's not over. I'm not going to just leave you there. I'm going to fix this. And so he sends his own son to earth. And then he's baptized. And when he baptized, he begins his ministry. He goes off into the wilderness, does a little rope-a-dope with the devil. We're not getting into that story. If you want to read it, it's in Matthew um, and then after he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan and he wins, he begins his ministry. And Jesus' ministry, the first words of his ministry start with one word, repent. He's come to say, turn. The same story that Jesus himself spends three years on this earth telling us this story. Teaching us all that is in the Bible, explaining all of it, going from town to town, performing miracles to prove that he's God's son, proclaiming the truth that was already in scripture that we had from the prophets and from Moses and the law and everything. He came to explain it and fulfill it, and then he came to sacrifice his life. And we'll talk about all of that. But in this story where Jesus became one of us, we see God's goodness. You see, God is great, and if I were him, I'd be okay with this creating stuff and making universes and throwing meteors through the sky and doing all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't care about little people crawling around in this tiny little blue ball flying around one of those star thingies that I made. I wouldn't care. But that's because I'm not God. But that God loves us and didn't just leave us with our bad choices. It's because he loves us. That's who this God is. That great God is also good. 
that great God heard the cries of his people in Egypt and sent plagues on Egypt to change the heart of a Pharaoh so that he would let them go. And then he took them miraculously out of captivity. He saved them from slavery because they cried out to him. He freed them from their bondage because they said, God, save me. And he heard their cry and he saved them. He took them out into the desert and he says, this is how you live now. You're my people. Here's my laws. This is what you need to do for your own good. We had one that didn't work. So then he gave us 10. And then he gave us some more. And we're still trying to get all those right. But this is who the God is. He's a God of law. He's a God of protection. He's a God of mercy, grace, love. All those things that my wife sees and writes down. And I go, man, that's good. That's the God who I love. Because he loved me. Even though he didn't have to. And because if I was him, I wouldn't have. But he loves me anyway. And he loves you. That's who this God is. And he's a God who when Jonah goes, I know what your plan is, but forget that. I'm going to go do this instead. He goes, no, I love you too much to let you do that. So I'm going to shake your boat up a little bit. You coming with me? No. no I'll shake it up some more. And these guys are like, Chuck. And then he's like, hey, fish, go get him. Grabs Jonah. Keeps him in there three days. That was a short prayer. The question I have is how long did it take in the fish before he prayed that prayer? You think it took three days? I think it did. I think he was in there for three days and he's like, okay, I can't take it anymore. And God broke him down. He didn't destroy him. He could have. You know how many people God could have sent to Nineveh? Think about it. This is what I love about God is we read a story like this and we go, look how much God loved Nineveh. And look how much God loves some sailors on a boat. And look how much God loved Jonah. He could have been like, go to Nineveh and tell them to turn from their sins. He's like, no. And he's like, okay, flick. Hey, you, go to Nineveh. And they're like, no. And he's like, flick. Hey, you, go to Nineveh. He had hundreds of people he could have sent. But he goes, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes, no. And he goes, okay. Jonah, I said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, all right. And he wrestled against God. And if we're honest, we do the exact same thing. And think about it. Last night, we're like, idiot, Jonah. And if you're wrestling against God, I'm like, idiot. No offense. But seriously, think about it. This is the God you're wrestling against. The God who time and time again has showed us that he loves us. And he doesn't have to. Well, Theologically, you want to get into it in his character and nature. Yes, he does because he's consistent and he is a God of love. No one's making him. I think that's maybe a fairer way to say it. No one's making him do it. He does it just because he's God. Why? Because he's God. Why? Because he's God. Why? Because that's just who God is. And that simple little truth that my six-year-old son brought to my mind is still true today. Why? Because he's God. Go to Nineveh. Why? Because I'm God. I want to save these people. Why? Because I'm God. I love them. But they hate you. They murder people. They're horrible people. Yes, but they're my people. Why did you put up with Jonah's junk? Because I'm God. Why does he put up with your junk? Because he's God. 
and a heavenly father loves his children, loves his creation so much that he'll go through the trouble to get your attention. And I think that's what we see in the story of Jonah. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. Don't run from him. Don't question him to your own fault. Don't be an idiot like Jonah when God calls you. Just say, all right. In the Bible, it says that in Romans, it says, and by his spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. In that phrase, Abba, would be the same thing you'd hear a little Jewish kid say when he, when he goes to ask his dad if he can go out and play. He would say, Abba, can we go out and play? And he'd be like, no, it's raining. But Abba, why? Abba means Papa. And that's the way the Bible describes God. He's a heavenly father who loves you guys. And he doesn't want you to be an idiot and run from him. We've got some more good stuff coming this week, weekend. But one of the things I wanted to leave you with is this. I'm kind of a science nerdy geek at times. And what I love with the whole things of like the sun and how distance, I mean, you go on for days with this stuff. It's fascinating. The more you try to prove God wrong, the more he'll go, keep trying, buddy. Keep trying. And the more you dig in, I love it. You can look at the bigness and you see God. You look at the smallness and you see God because he is the God of all time and all space. And in this time, this weekend, and in this space, this camp, he's still God and he's still calling out to you. And he still wants to show you how much he loves you. So don't run from him. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, I thank you for the story of Jonah. It shows me so much about who you are. It shows me so much about who I am. And I just pray that we, in this story, can see ourselves a little bit. And that more importantly, we can see you. A God who, in my mind, has no reason to love me. But yet you do. And I thank you for that. And you're a God who has no reason to love anyone in this room, but you do. You have no reason to love Jonah, but you do. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a God of all time and space, and yet you choose us. Thank you for that. Father, may we stop running and just come to our Papa. Thank you for being a Heavenly Father. Amen.